From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, Craig Waldron, a consultant and a public administration professor at Hamlin University, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. Waldron draws on his decades of experience in city governance in the following conversation about community development challenges and opportunities. All right. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by Craig Waldron, who served as city administrator for the city of Oakdale for 20 years and uh, as a respected uh, city, highly respected leader in local government and is now uh, serving as a, I believe you're an adjunct professor at Hamlin University. Is that right, Craig? Yes, I'm uh, adjunct at Hamlin. I had actually been there uh, full time for a while for uh, four years and uh, retired from there and still do some adjunct work. And then uh, uh, right now I'm doing a lot of local government consulting too. I still want to keep working with uh, uh, with the local units of government. So uh, uh, I'll do quite a bit of consulting there, ranging from development to strategic planning. So I'm still trying to keep a toe in the water, so to speak. Okay. And just for the benefit of our listeners and readers, Greg and I go way back. Uh, we were just talking about uh, 30 years ago, I was working for yeah. a local for a weekly newspaper in Oakdale at the time when Craig was a city administrator there. And so and, and it's been nice that we've been able to reconnect once in a while to talk about um, city related issues from time to time here in my role with finance and commerce. So um, really good to see you again. And, uh, and uh, great to nice see to you connect. too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great to see you. So, before we get into some of the development related issues, uh, can you talk a little bit more about the sort of your focus at Hamlin and, and how you made that transition from working directly in city government to being a, an educator now? Okay. Well, I uh, had always had an interest in uh, teaching, and um, while I was at um, uh, Oakdale, uh, they were very good and uh, actually uh, helped me pursue my doctorate at Hamlin. So that kind of enhanced my relationship at Hamlin uh, a little more. And uh, the 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 interesting thing about Hamlin and uh, their approach, they had a really good master's program in public administration, and they really made an effort along with some pretty good permanent faculty to bring in uh, adjuncts, people that had actually been out there in cities and 
counties and and people that actually had worked on real economic development deals and so forth. So uh, it just ended up a really good fit for me with my background and all the scar tissue that I developed over the years and working in, you know, projects and, and local government and then, you know, having the academic piece. So it was just a, uh, a really good fit. And, and uh, even to this day, I'm still doing some work with some of the doctoral students and so forth. And, uh, you know, in, in the local government or public administration program, uh, I think it's helpful to have uh, a number of your faculty members that have actually been out there and, and worked in the, the real world. And uh, like I said, develop some of that scar tissue and experience. Yeah, and just um, I was wondering if you could think back to your time in Oakdale, the years you spent there, and what were some of the, can you touch on some of the, I guess, uh, challenges and opportunities during that time in the 90s when it came to attracting uh, new investments and uh, development and and also balancing that with the, um, I guess, the concerns of existing residents? Sure. Um, uh, it was really interesting um, when I originally went there. Part of the difficulty was um, Woodbury and uh, uh, Western Wisconsin was really uh, making life difficult for Oakdale in terms of its development. So that was one of the priorities in terms of them bringing me over from Roseville, where I was the uh, community development director there for eight years. And um, uh, it, it was really a good situation uh, where I had an excellent city council to work with. I think that's one of your critical priorities, that you have a council that knows where they want to go and they stick together. I never would have thought I would have been in Oakdale for over 21 years, but they were just outstanding mayors and, and councils that, that made the job and particularly development uh, much easier. But we pretty much had to design a program from the uh, the ground up. You've got to get people um, uh, really uh, interested or on board in terms of the incentives and um, you know understanding uh, what developers are going through. Uh, also, you know, it, of course, you've got the profit motive, and they're trying to make money, but you know, it's not necessarily that easy to get stuff done. So you need to uh, encourage people to look at it or understand what. Uh, what their perspective is also. And uh, so being able to set up uh, pretty aggressive programs and, you know, the, the city councils just kept letting us get more aggressive all the time to where we were eventually, you know, buying land and marketing it ourselves and so forth. Um, so having a progressive council was really important. And, you know, the, the residents, um, Although pretty good, you know, it could be difficult at times. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges out there that um, it's the level of civility and, you know, working with some of the residents can really be difficult. Um, one of the things that I or kind of a paradigm shift that I've seen is that it used to be difficult enough just trying to get the financing together and make that work. Now you can get through that most of the time. But then you got the politics of getting trying to get stuff 
done. One of the things that I said I was going to do at Hamlin was to make sure that our students understood that you're working in a political environment and you better figure that out and understand how you have to steer these deals through a through a political system. And if you don't understand that, you're going to drive yourself nuts. So I kind of made that one of my missions in all of the classes before I retired full-time at Hamlin to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because I was just thinking about that. And it seemed like back in the 90s, you'd, you'd always have people showing up at city council meetings or to talk about maybe their concerns about a project, or maybe they'd write a letter to the editor. And, um, you know, and I'm sure people always have legitimate concerns. I, I don't want to downplay that. But now, now you, with the advent of social media, it seems like it's be gone to another level. You, you just post oh. something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and boom, things just explode when you talk about how oh, yeah. things are political. So, yeah. Any yeah, thoughts on that? I, 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 yeah, I had come out of uh, meetings and, you know, the the Twitter wire or Facebook was going 100 miles an hour based on people that had been in the meeting or be had been there in opposition. And that's flying 100 miles an hour before I even got out of the meeting and could uh, figure out a response. Um, we kind of figured out a uh, system in the, the 90s and later on as this stuff became more difficult is that, um, you know, we would spend a lot of time talking to our developers about, you know, where things were and so forth and how you would work through the system, but then also keeping the city council and the politicians in the loop step by step uh, also. And then um, we'd have the developers work a neighborhood meeting and so forth and try to talk through concerns and develop a relationship with the uh with the citizens but then we'd also utilize work sessions where the potential of the development and the developer would come through and talk to the council in a in a, uh, a work session environment get the city council more familiar with what was going on and essentially you know kind of do the thing okay now here it is. Are you comfortable? We've had this discussion and the developer's going to make this change and that change. Are you ready to go? And, you know, we'd make sure we had the nod to to move forward with the project. And then one of the things that uh, I always tried to do is that I didn't want to go into a, a meeting uh, not knowing whether we had the votes and whether everything was ironed out. So, you know, I would really work with the council members and check in with them even right before the meeting to to make sure everything was it was OK. I don't think anything could be more disastrous going in on one of your critical, more important developments, not knowing that you've got the support to get the get the thing done. Mm -hmm. So we had yeah. to we we really had to work hard on our, our methodology to make sure that that uh, we could get the important things approved and 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 move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. A lot of different layers to that. Um, yeah, what, one, many. What, one thing I'm hearing now is about there's a, a need for more housing in general. And when I when I think back to the '90s and and if I'm recalling this correctly, it seems like when the, there's a big open field that was 
a greenfield development site, you'd put up a lot of single family houses and things like that. Now it seems like we're seeing more mixed uses on these development sites with townhomes, some apartments, as well as single family. Um, are you seeing that as well? Is that a yes? Yeah, I, I do think that's a, a trend and actually goes back to some of the discussion that you and I've had on PUDs also that, that helps facilitate that trend. But I, I, I do think uh, uh, combinations and uh, different levels of uh, density and opportunities, uh, I think you're seeing, you know, uh, many more developments like that. And um you know, I think just in terms of the housing shortage that we still see out there is that um, uh, we do need more multifamily development. But on the flip side, multifamily development can be more controversial in the communities also. So it's a it's a, it's really a double edged sword there. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about affordable housing and um, deeply affordable and. You, you, yeah. You, you, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the things we could have done in the nineties and we didn't. And I think uh, those of us who were in the cities based on a lobbying effort kind of shot it down. But it, uh, if I, when I look back, I think the impact would have been tremendous now over time. And that's where, and you may remember this, where the state was proposing that in any multifamily development, we'd have to have so many affordable units within those developments. And, you know, it, some communities have made that part of their ordinance and so forth, but this would have been a statewide requirement. And uh, it kind of got shot down by, uh, you know, the various levels of local government because it was kind of you know, infringing on local control and so forth. But um, could you imagine if we would have had that in place now for the past 30 years and the, and the, the uh, number of uh, low mod units that would actually be available? So in a way, I think we ended up in, as our own worst enemy back in the 90s when that happened. Yeah, interesting. Um. Well, one you mentioned PUDs there briefly, and we did chat about that um, for an article I did a while back. And I, I, I thought that was an interesting discussion. One thing I heard from home builders who had concerns about PUDs is that, and I think the quote is that it allows cities to tuck in all the extras that they want, like aesthetics, like stucco siding requirements and things like that um and and i thought you had an interesting response to that kind of from the city perspective um can you uh touch on that a little bit sure i i think uh, uh puds used properly can really be helpful and um i think if you're if you're working on this where you know you're letting the developers uh provide more density within a PUD project or something like that, or, uh, you know, you're, you're waiving some parking requirements as part of the PUD that um, it is reasonable to ask them to do a few more things as long as you're not getting 
silly. And, um, uh, you know, some communities can get silly. You know, we're doing a PUD and we can, may, you know, require all this stuff that, uh, you know, we're going to make them put pillars on the entrances and all of that. I think that uh, that can get uh, out of hand. But I think reasonably used and with a good negotiation between the city and the developer, they can uh, really work out well. But I think you need to be realistic on uh, both sides. And again, I think uh, looking at it from my city perspective, that if you are, you know, providing more flexibility and, you know, letting the uh, developers uh, do some things that you normally wouldn't get to do under the normal zoning requirements, I think it is reasonable to, you know, look at some other amenities as as i said as long as you're not getting silly about it i can, i think it can be a really great tool for both sides yeah as long as it's reasonable and yeah makes sense um i want to ask you a little bit too about um tax increment financing if a developer comes to town and wants to do a project and they uh, ask for tiff assistance um what are some of the things the city looks at when determining if if that's appropriate or not okay well um as you know i'm a great believer in tiff when used properly also i think it just be can be an outstanding tool that really helped us on a number that oakdale and and i also helped north st paul out later on in my, in my career here and i think it can be, really be helpful what we would always look for is is first of all is the proposal within the um guidelines of the priorities of the city or the strategic plan you know are they coming in looking at an area that's a redevelopment area that's a priority to us are they providing a type of housing that's a priority so first of all you have to look at where that where the development stacks up within a strategic plan if you're going to be putting some public investment into it uh, then i i think the thing that's really critical and, you know, for as long as I've been around, like 50 years in this stuff, you know, I remember the early days where a project would come into a city and it's kind of like, well, you know, will you give us TIFF and we'll tell us what you want and we'll get it to you. It's just like, you know, no. What we would ask is that you tell us what you think you need. So give us your performa so we can understand uh, what the but for really is and what you really need so you come in and ask for tiff we're just not going to say yes you tell us how you need it and and what your plan is and then i think the the smartest thing that communities do is once they get that then they'll use their finance director and then either a baker tilly or an ellers to analyze that and make sure that you know it is reasonable and you're all on the same page. Well, then, you know, you're, you're really in a, in a good position where in working with the developer, you do kind of agree on what the incentive is, and it, it makes sense um, uh, based on your own independent analysis. And then at that point, you're providing information to your console and keeping them in the, the loop and so forth. But having that analysis by the uh, fiscal agent when you go before the public and the council 
you have an independent body that's actually saying, no, we've looked at this and this amount is is reasonable and it's and it's okay and it will be a good investment for the for the city. And in the early days that did not necessarily happen. That that's happening more uh all the time. Mm-hmm. And again, when I was talking about going through the development process and working with the council and independent uh, or you know work sessions and so forth we broach the tax increment thing too and you know they're going to need tiff to get this done we've analyzed it here's what we think it's going to be and be prepared as we're going through the land use issues that we're going to have tiff as part of the discussion also and mm-hmm. and i think the city councils became at least the ones i've worked for comfortable on the process when they understand that you really are looking at the need for this and you're not going above and beyond what the need is and it does fit into the city's priorities but it's a lot of work it's a lot of work getting that done yeah i can just imagine um so you touched on a little bit some of your background in city administration of course we talked about oakdale um, you, you did some work with uh, North St. Paul and I believe you're an elected official in, was it North Mankato for a time? Yes. Um, once upon time, Yes. I was actually a two-term city council member in North Mankato, which, you know, looking back actually helped me having been on the other side of the, the table as a, as a, uh, politician elected official. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you become interested in getting into that line of work in city administration? Is it just something you always dreamed of doing or? Well, it, 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 to an extent, it's um, I'm one of those 60s kids that, you know, I remember Kennedy talking about asking not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. So that struck me as a kid. And then as I got older, uh, I always thought I want to do something where I'm making a difference. And so as I kind of progressed in my undergraduate career and so forth, and I started to see some of these uh, governmental opportunities, um, I just kept gravitating towards government. And I could see that, you know, that's that's a place where you really can make that difference in your city and you can actually see it happen and and be part of it so you know just wanting to have that type of uh impact and then out of that kind of grew our internship programs and that got me interested in the educational side of this too so i really wanted to work with the next generation of leaders that's going to be coming into uh public administration also so I always knew early on I wanted to do something that was going to make a difference. I wasn't quite sure what that would be or how I would be able to work that out. And then over time, I just saw the the local government stuff and how that could certainly be a big opportunity. And it's interesting working with some of the uh, undergrads. Hamlin has a, a mentoring program, and uh, we work with some of the undergrads, and it's really interesting. You know, this Gen Z wants to make a difference and be involved and so forth. And you talk to them about local government. It's just like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. You know, I could work Mm -hmm. in parks or, you know, I could 
you know, do planning stuff or work on environmental stuff. It's just like, I had no idea that that was available. So we do, we yeah. try to push that point and, and help people understand the opportunity that's there. That's great. And you talked before about um, the relationship you have with the elected officials working with the city council and the mayor. And I remember, you know, the late Ted Berth in Oakdale and how he was so involved oh, yeah. in that community from summer fest planning and everything else and just how um, committed he was to the city of Oakdale. Oh. And, uh, but I, I don't know what Ted, what Ted Berth is really... That. Oh, Ted Berth is really one of my heroes. I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, you'd cut that guy and he'd bleed little Oakdale trees, you know what I mean? <laughs> he was just outstanding. And like I say, he was, he was everywhere. He was wonderful to work for, you know, very supportive of his, his uh, staff, which you don't necessarily find all the time with some elected officials. He was just great. And like you said, in addition to the, the council stuff he was involved in every aspect of the community from you know summer fest to uh you know trying to make sure that we had the appropriate ballparks in place and mm -hmm. and so forth uh, it was just amazing and he was also one of the things that i didn't mention a good mayor can be one of your best weapons in terms of economic development because you know a developer or company would hear from me and it's like we well, yeah, have but you're the hired gun craig you're paid to say that ted berth and also carmen serac years later mm -hmm. too as mayor they could call up these companies and smooth the ceos and so forth and just make a tremendous difference all the difference in the world so mm -hmm. yeah he he was pretty incredible and and even then uh before he passed away he was a washington county commissioner so he just kept that commitment up to, to local government to his very last days. So yeah. a very good man. I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of good memories of Ted too. He was a, a, yeah. a, a nice man and uh, deeply committed to a big golden gopher fan. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was an old Iowa Hawk. Yeah. Always yeah. Made things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Are you from uh the midwest you, you you did go to i know you did undergraduate schooling at iowa right um but are you from the area yeah, yeah. well I, I was originally uh born in chicago okay. and then my uh dad uh was a production manager for a dairy he was in chicago and they transferred him to the quad cities so uh since i was what was i six to 18 years old or 20 years old we had lived in the the quad cities in davenport iowa so i did go to the university of iowa my last two years in undergrad and it was interesting again trying to think i was going to do this public service stuff i was also thinking about maybe going to law school and you know being an, an environmental attorney or something like that but then i heard about the urban studies program at minnesota state boy everybody was coming out of there and getting really cool jobs the faculty was uh featured in time magazine on some of the projects and it's just like i'm gonna do that i'm not going to law school so in yeah. uh 72 we came up to 
uh, Mankato, and we just fell in love with Minnesota and, you know, have never, never looked back. So, yeah, once we got up here, we we stayed from 72. So in Mankato until uh, 85, and then that's when I came to Roseville. Great. Well, we're... We've been lucky to have you here, Craig, and um, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know that you're you're out in in Colorado. I understand. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, and enjoying some time out there with family. So, um, but uh, are there any other parting thoughts you might have before I let you go? Um, you know, I, again, uh, I really enjoyed well, the I, conversation. I I just uh, uh, I. Just, just probably the the parting thought that I would have, you know, because we have you know both developers and elected officials and so forth, is that um, you know I would just really encourage each other to you know walk a little bit in each other's shoes. You know the the elected officials need to understand what developers are going through and how they're trying to get stuff done, but. You know, also the developers and businesses have to understand that uh, the other side's working in a difficult political environment where civility is getting even worse. So I just think having an understanding and and getting a little bit in each other's head is going to, you know, is going to breed success and, you know, ensure successful uh, communities. But it takes a lot of work these days. Yeah, very, very well said. Well, thank you for your time, Craig. And uh, yes. hopefully you can stay in touch. Uh, always enjoy visiting Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. All right. Great. Well, thank you for uh, having me. I enjoyed connecting with you, too. Take care. Awesome. Take care.